Welcome to Disputes Digest. Today is July 9th, 2021. I'm Chris Campbell. Don't forget to follow Tales of the Tribunal on LinkedIn to stay up to date with news from around the world of international law and dispute resolution. This week, we start in the United States as the Fifth Circuit rules that the relocation of the place of arbitration did not manifestly disregard the party's agreement nor the law. In the case Northrop Grumman Ship Systems, Inc. versus the Ministry of Defense of the Republic of Venezuela, the court upheld the tribunal's ruling. Taking a step back for a moment for the facts and a little bit of additional context, just over a year before Hugo Chavez rose to power in Venezuela, the Ministry of Defense of the Republic of Venezuela entered into a $315 million contract with Northup via its subsidiary, or as it was known at the time, Huntington Egales Incorporated. The agreement contained a mandatory arbitration provision designating Carcas Venezuela as the exclusive arbitral forum. Some years later, after disputes had arisen over cost, the ministry refused to pay for certain work and Huntington filed suit in the Southern District of Mississippi seeking damages to compel arbitration. The parties then argued about whether Venezuela could be a sufficient venue given the ongoing political instability. The arbitration was ultimately transferred and conducted in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil and resulted in a $128 million arbitration in favor of Huntington, which promptly asked the Mississippi Federal Court to enforce the award, which it did. The court rejected the Venezuelan government's argument about manifest disregard of the law for holding that the arbitration could be held outside of Venezuela. On appeal, the court similarly rejected these arguments and used a three-part test as applied to the facts to analyze whether or not the arbitration could in fact proceed reasonably in Venezuela. Then let's take a look at the London Court of International Arbitration, which has produced its 2020 casework report, which shows a significant increase in the number of arbitrations commenced within 2020. This seems illustrative of a general increase of the use of arbitration as a means of dispute resolution. The LCIA report states that the institution received 444 referrals 407 of which were arbitrations referred under the LCIA rules. This is a 10% increase in the total number of referrals and an 18% increase of referrals under the LCIA rules from the previous year. Further, nearly a third of those cases were under 1 million US dollars, with 28% being 1 million to 5 million dollars and 28% being in the 5 million to 50 million dollar range. The report also addresses the interplay of the number of cases registered by the institution compared to the slowdown of English courts in doing the same. The LCIA was able to carry on while many courts suffered at least some disruption in the resolution of the cases. Finally, and generally speaking, the report discusses the October 2020 rule updates and what impacts that may have at the end of 2020 and will have going forward. The reports are available in their entirety in full on the LCIA website. Then, staying in the United Kingdom, where an English court has denied an application for further extension of time to challenge an award under the Arbitration Act of 1996. In the case STA v. OFY, the English High Court refused to grant an extension after the applicant had let lapse a prior extension order. Here's some background in noting that the parties were kept anonymous in this case, so we'll be using STA and OFY as the designations as listed in the court. Background it goes as follows. Pursuant to an uncentral award dated January 26, the government of STA was ordered to pay OFY compensation for repudiating a power generation contract. The present judgment arose out of multiple applications by STA for an extension of time to challenge an attempt to set aside or annul the award. 
After multiple extensions, STA, presumably inadvertently, allowed the timeline to lapse and then attempted to persuade the court to allow another extension of time. The court used several factors to come to its conclusions to deny the extension. First, the length of delay. Two, the reasonableness of STA's conduct. Three, no evidence of the other party nor the tribunal's contribution to the delay. Four, prejudice caused to OFY. Five, impact on the arbitration and six, strength of the application, and also fairness. The case demonstrates that an applicant must provide specific and convincing evidence of the reason for the delay, and the court in this case was critical of the explanations provided by STA. A key takeaway is that generic reference to the impact of COVID-19 is likely to persuade the court when considering delay. Also of note is the court's suggestion that a party without convincing reasons for delay would be better served by admitting that it was an honest mistake so as to avoid an inference that it willfully disregarded the court's rules. We'll provide a link to a longer analysis with the facts in the show notes. Next and finally for news this week, we head to Hong Kong where we see a familiar principle being bolstered. That is third parties to a contract being bound by arbitral provisions. In the case Argos Paraya España SL and another versus Athenian Marine, the English High Court held that an assignee acquiring the rights to claim under a contract via subrogation could be ordered to pay equitable compensation if it fails to comply with the arbitration clause that binds the original parties to the contract. The court has clarified the law in terms of the availability of equitable compensation flowing from a breach of equitable obligations to arbitration, as well as the transferred loss principle for parties wishing to recover wasted costs incurred by a non-party to the contract. The decision is significant because while it is well established that where a party who derives its right to claim from a contract, whether by virtue of assignment or statutes or otherwise, must bring its claim in accordance with the jurisdiction clause. If not, an injunction can be obtained to prevent such party from pursuing proceedings in breach of the jurisdiction clause. It had not been determined until this case that the party who derives from a contract such as subrogated insurer or assignee may be held liable to pay equitable compensation in breach of an equitable obligation to arbitrate claims. This case is also a useful precedent for parties who wish to recover wasted costs incurred by a group of companies. In the absence of other remedies, these parties may be able to rely on the principle of, quote, transferred loss to recover their wasted cost. We will include a link to an article with the court's reasoning and analysis in the show notes. Now let's talk about opportunities. And this week we start with law firms at Steptoe and Johnson LLP is sinking an international arbitration associate for its New York offices. Next, global law firm Withers Worldwide seeks a litigation and arbitration associate with three to four years of experience for its London, England offices. And then, staying in London, law firm Denton seeks an associate for its international arbitration team with two to four years of experience. Then, research-based organization Berkeley Research Group is seeking a senior managing economist with international arbitration experience and seven plus years of working experience. And finally, for this week, the National University of Singapore is seeking a research associate to join its Singapore-based offices. All right, now before we get out of here this week, let's talk about some events. First up, the British Institute of International and Comparative Law offers an event titled Artificial Intelligence, Trade, and the Rule of Law, where they will address questions in the space, things like, where are we now and where are we going with regard to AI technology? How do we deal with cross-border data flows? What legal status may be beneficial 
for the stakeholder, and many more. The event will be on July 12, 2021, and registration is available on the organization's website, which we'll include a link to in the show notes. Then, the New York State Bar Association offers a comprehensive commercial arbitration training for arbitrators and counsel, which is designed for new arbitrators and seasoned arbitrators interested in taking their skills to the next level, and for litigators interested in learning how to best represent clients in arbitration to take advantage of the advocacy opportunities available in arbitration. The training will be provided by commercial arbitrators and leading practitioners, and registration is available on the NYSBA website. Then, the Asian American Bar Association of New York offers an important event titled The Broken Model, Confronting Anti-Asian Bias in the Legal Profession. The organization plans to discuss historical experiences of Asian Americans across the number of communities that make up the demographic and the challenges raised by anti-Asian bias, in particular in the legal profession. Topics will range from the model minority myth to the limits of career growth and development. The event takes place on Tuesday, July 13th, and attendance is $15. Next, on Thursday, July 15th, Australia's largest dispute resolution organization, Resolution Institute, hosts an event titled Resilience and Reinvention, Dispute Resolution During a Crisis and Beyond. This two-day conference is designed to focus on the post-COVID world and will include stakeholders and speakers from across a number of commercial sectors and legal practice areas. We'll include a link in the show notes. Finally, for events this week, we have an event titled International Construction Arbitration, a comparative law update from the US, Europe, and beyond. The event will cover an industry perspective such as factors affecting the construction sector today and its impacts on disputes referred to arbitration, case review of 2020, involving and looking at some of the key decisions before the tribunals and courts in 2020 that will have the most influence on construction arbitration in 2021 and beyond. And finally, assessing the ongoing changes in investment treaty arbitration and what it means for the construction sector and what are the opportunities and implications for investors and states alike. The event will take place on July 13th and we'll put a link to register in the show notes. All right, and before we get out of here this week, we have just one more note, something that we've been referencing, but is finally here. Arbitration Idol is back. That's right, the signature event from Tales of the Tribunal, Digital Coffee Break in Arbitration, and Careers in Arbitration is back for more. Arbitration Idol is a community service project where participants have a chance to have digital coffee with leaders from across the world of international arbitration in exchange for a small donation. All proceeds go to UNICEF, so it's a win, win, win. If you want a chance to win, follow Arbitration Idol on LinkedIn for the entry link and then come back at the end of the month to see if you're a winner. Oh, and tell a friend. Finally, follow Tales of the Tribunal on LinkedIn and drop us a line at talesofthetribunal.gmail.com if you have any comments or feedback. Until next week, this has been Disputes Digest by Tales of the Tribunal. None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.